special edition of the Sports Frenzy Sold Out Podcast. This is Goof the Encyclopedia here with you tonight. Uh, tonight we have with us Dan Iscro. Dan, how are you doing tonight? Doing all right. Thanks very much for having me. I'm excited about discussing our top 10 SummerSlam matches tonight. That's right, guys. We are trying something different. We are doing a top 10 of SummerSlam, trying to bring you some more unique content. So for this episode... Dan and I will be going through our top 10 matches of all time. Uh, first off, uh, I'll give you my criteria. So i not going to lie. I couldn't remember every single match because this is the 30th anniversary of SummerSlam this year we're hitting. Uh, 31st edition coming up this Sunday, uh, depending on when you listen to this. We're recording on Thursday night, August 16th. And I made my list based on the matches that stuck out of my mind, um, which I found that a lot of the 90s and what have you seem to stick stick out the most uh and i also liked to use the john report website to get his match ratings just to try to narrow it down so i actually came up with a list of 16 matches and tried to narrow it down to 10 uh so dan what was your process for this one uh it, it was similar i looked uh you know just there's always those few matches that stick out in your head so i had maybe i don't know let's say five or six that, uh, that I was always a big fan of. And I took a look at every single card in the history of WrestleMania, I'm sorry, in the history of SummerSlam. I took a look at the Meltzer star ratings too. Uh, and anything that really jumped out at me, whether it was matches that I had seen and kind of forgotten about, or maybe it was a match that I hadn't seen in a very long time and really forgot how good the match may have been. And after pulling matches from the cards that way, I had a list of, it had to be about 30 matches, maybe 32 matches. So then from there, I checked out every match, and I narrowed it down to my top 10, and um, I have two honorable mentions as well. And some notes. I have, I have some notes on each uh, on each match, too. So uh, hopefully we'll have something to talk about with each match. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll mention the ones that I had considered but fell just outside the box. Uh, the matches that I didn't recall as well, I did go back and watch a few of them, and very quickly realized at the end of some of them why I didn't put them on the list. So uh, we'll go over that as well. Yeah, I had this, the same thing. Like, there were matches where, like, it's mostly matches, I would say, like, from the late 80s, the the, uh, the first few Summer Slams, where I remember watching as a kid, and I could have sworn that I would go back and watch them and love them. And I don't know, I guess it was just nostalgia, but going back and watching them again, they just they, they just didn't hold up. And I was pretty surprised about that. Yeah, I hear you. Well, look at the bright side. I tried to do this with Money in the Bank with uh, Freddie and uh, our other, uh, the third member of our team, Stevie G, and I, so I gave my list quickly, and I think it was, I ended up doing the top five, and I also said to them, don't ever take this endeavor on, because I watched all, like, 20-something Money in the Bank matches over, like, a week, and I was exhausted by the end of it. <laughs> I think I think I killed like twelve of them inside of a weekend. It was it was nuts. Yeah, when you line them up and you watch everything back to back to back, it's like I, there there comes a point where like your eyes just start to glaze over and like the spots just all start to blur together. So you really you really have to pace yourself when doing something like this. Yeah, absolutely. All the credit to the Melsers and John Cantons and uh, Brian Alvarez and uh, Wade Keller. My props to them, although right now uh, I'm not really a Melser fan. I, did you hear about that controversy with him and Peyton Royce? 
Uh, yeah, very very tone deaf stuff. Very um, I, I don't know. It it was just very a very strange thing to be uh, criticizing Peyton Royce about, you know. Yeah, well, well, at least we're we're not talking about Melser. Well, you know, even though we used him as a source, or at least you had on your end. All right, so uh, let's start this off. Uh, let's start with your number ten pick. Number ten. I have to be honest with with my number ten pick. I, I kind of graded this match a, on a little bit of a curve. Um, number ten was from SummerSlam 2002, and it was the opening match: Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio. Now I say I graded this match on a curve because objectively, I really don't think it holds up to the rest of the matches on the list. Or and I don't even think it's better than um, a lot of a lot of matches that didn't even make the top ten. But I think for what it was, an opening match at SummerSlam, I think it served its purpose very, very, very well. It had two guys who, um, at the top of their games, it was a very quick match. It got the crowd invested into the event 100%. The crowd was going crazy by the end of that match. And um, it was just long enough so that it didn't tire the crowd out by the end of it. And also, it I feel like it was just good enough that it wasn't going to overshadow any other match on the card. Uh, what we got was uh, an awesome pay-per-view debut for Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle doing what he does. And again, for what it was, an opening match, I consider it to be one of the best opening matches in history. Uh, if, if, if you ask me like what some of the best curtain jerkers in history are, like I think of this right away. But there's also the other matches out there, like your, you know, your your Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania 10. Um, there's uh, like Daniel Bryan versus Triple H at WrestleMania 30. But um, you know, like I said before, those those matches they can stand alone as great matches at any point in any card. But strictly speaking, for an opening match, I love what Angle and Mysterio did in 2002. So that's why it's number 10 on my list. Uh, good choice. I had not considered that one, but I was at the Nassau Coliseum for that entire card. That entire card from top to bottom was pretty memorable, so I, I like that choice. Uh, if I remember correctly, that's the one where Angle was waiting for Mysterio to come out, and Mysterio kind of came out from the crowd, jumped off the top rope, and just kind of hurricaned Angle, like, jumping over his shoulders. From behind, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was there also at Nassau Coliseum, so... This, this is actually my, my favorite SummerSlam. I think I agree with you. I think this is hands down the best SummerSlam uh, of all time. And also in this match with, uh, I give Kurt Angle the best dressed at SummerSlam award because he was wearing his candy stripe singlet, which I thought was awesome. And I don't know if he ever wore that again. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I also remember later in that card that the whole, Arena almost went up on fire when Booker T's flames actually hit one of the decorations by the entrance. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah, a little fun fact for those of you. Uh, so Stevie G and I were at that event, as was Dan, which we just found out. S Steven and I were sitting about 10 rows back behind the announcers. And Steven, if you actually go back to the main event uh, for the which, later that night, which was Rock versus Brock, Steven was actually facing the camera like you could see him jumping up and down like a jackass and you know they cut away we're focusing on the match and then one of the crowd shots later you see him getting dragged away by security he almost got himself thrown out oh god 
my brother with his magic had met some girl sitting in the row in front of us earlier that evening and she looks over at security as they're like escorting him out and she signals over to them and's like oh he's with me and and i look to my other fr- one of our other friends and i'm like how the hell does he always pull this off somehow <laughs> good for him yeah, so if you ever go back and watch SummerSlam 2002 in the main event and see some jackass jumping up and down in, behind the first five rows, that was my brother. I'll keep an eye out for it. Yeah, it's funny stuff. We actually showed my mom a few months later, and she's like, what are you guys watching? Didn't you guys go to this one? And we're like, yeah, we're watching your son get thrown out of the arena. And she's like, what? <laughs> nice. So, that, no, good pick. Um, so... My number 10, and it wasn't that it was a, the greatest match in the, you know, one of the greatest matches. Um, it was the story that I told that really captivated me. I went with the 1997 SummerSlam. The Undertaker defending the WWF title against Bret the Hitman Hart, with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee. Uh, Bret always seemed to get a good match out of just about everybody he was in the ring with for the most part and this was no exception the undertaker this was really towards the tail end of his uh kind of stiff dead man work work style um so and i know this was their second match on pay-per-view they previously had the one at the 1996 royal rumble but that extra element with Shawn michaels and the tension between him and brett and then that that finish where brett spit in sean's face and sean hit him with the chair went for the chair shot and missed and hit undertaker instead and then had to do the three count because he was going to be banned from the u.s if he didn't do that something along those lines i think was the storyline um it was just a great story all around so that's why i went with that one and that that card in general uh while i don't have any other matches from that card on my list that that was just a very memorable card for me yeah i i had um brett versus taker i had watched that and I, I like the same reason that you love it. I love it too. It was such a cool story going into that match. And 90, before 97, I had stopped watching uh, WWE for uh, maybe like four years, five years. And I picked it up again in 97. So this was, you know, my the first SummerSlam I had watched in a few years. And with that storyline going into that match, I remember thinking like, how on earth is this match going to end? Like, Brett's, Brett can't lose. He's not going to never wrestle in America again. Right. Sean's got to get, get into the mix somehow, and he's certainly not going to help Brett win. So the way they the way they scripted the end of that match was awesome. And also, there's just something strange. There's just 1997 has some kind of weird appeal for me because every time you tell me WWF 1997, I just get this image. It was almost like... It felt like it was kind of like the wild, wild west, you know, especially yeah. compared to like the polished, uh, the polished corporate product that we get today. Crazy stuff that was going on behind the scenes, Sean throwing his temper tantrums, uh, wrestling with shadows was being filmed that year. And of course, we all know the uh, the climax of 97 with what happened at Survivor Series. Um, but I, I just get the impression that 1997, there was so many, so many cool things happening. And it was such a, a turning point for the WWF in like almost claiming bankruptcy and you know the the rise of stone cold steve austin there were so many cool things that were happening i I really did want to get this match into my top 10 but um when i watched it it was so much slower than i than i remembered Uh, and and ultimately that's that's why i left it off my list but i agree with you i I love the match love it very nice Uh, good good insight there Uh, yeah i remember 
I think it was by the time Survivor Series that year rolled around, I was starting to tell people, yeah, I think WrestleMania 14 is going to be the last hurrah and they're going to close shop because I really thought they were done. Who knew? Yeah. 21 years later. <laughs> All right, so uh, what's your number nine? Number nine, I have the triple threat tables, ladders, and chair match from 2000 between Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, and the Dudley Boys. Now, this was the uh, first TLC match. Um, obviously, this was the lead-in to TLC 2 at WrestleMania 17, which I think a lot of people um, see as the like defining TLC match between uh, these three teams. But, um, yeah, I mean, this match had just as many crazy bumps. It was a lot shorter than I remember, though. This, it, it clocked in at, like, just under 15 minutes. But, um, you know, you had the crazy jumps off the ladder from Jeff. You had uh, basically everybody almost getting killed. And, um, you know, this it, it's it's everything you, you could um, you could possibly want out of a TLC match, especially with these three tag teams. Um, I, I was pretty surprised going into that match that Edge and Christian actually won the titles. And not only that, but they actually won the titles. Uh, they won the match. The, uh, they won TLC two at WrestleMania 17. I thought that um, I thought that the Hardys would win at least one of those matches, but to, to go with Edge and Christian as the winners in uh, both matches, I thought was pretty ballsy. Um, you know, and obviously they could have gone with any one of those three teams, but um, you know, in, in the year 2000, they really upped the ante on you know crazy car wreck matches, and uh, you know the crazy violent ladder match formula that was uh introduced in this match i think is still being followed today yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie that one has made my list a little bit higher up than where you have it ranked but um so i'm not gonna have as much to say to it because you really you really brought it home there uh but i do remember going into that night because they were in north carolina i thought for sure there was no way the hardys are losing this match I was quite surprised, uh, Edge and Christian, with the original ladder match and the two TLCs. You know, you talk about the three of them putting those matches on the map as far as the tag team division is concerned, but the fact that Edge and Christian totally dominated all of them. And who knew, uh, Edge and Christian are the ones that are not wrestling anymore, and we still have the Hardys with us today. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> Crazy. All right, um, so my number nine, uh, and this is one I did go back and watch, was actually from SummerSlam two years ago, uh, John Cena versus AJ Styles, uh, which was a great match, a nice follow-up to the the dream the original dream match a few months before at Money in the Bank getting ruined. Nice clean match, uh, AJ winning with the phenomenal forearm, uh, great crowd in Brooklyn going all for this. Uh, one of these cases where John Cena showed his wrestling chops, uh, so to speak, because we didn't always get that. Uh, my only problem with that match is I feel like on the WWE level, this match is really what started leading towards the finishers not meaning as much where everybody's kicking out of each other's finishers left and right. Um, that indie style that seems to have become more popular, although I think the last few months that's starting to go the other way. Yeah, I have a, 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 I did watch that match recently too. I think I watched uh, at some point earlier today. There was some big power moves and finishers, not only just, like, teasing the end of the match, but they were pretty early on. Like, I think uh, AJ hit a Styles Clash, like, within the first five minutes of the match. And um, and even Cena was, like, I mean, he always hits attitude adjustments like crazy. 
But um, I mean, I think I think he hit one pretty early on too. That uh, yeah, I agree with you. That kind of devalues a finisher. Um, but but you know, on the other side of that same coin, it was a crazy crazy pace that they kept up for a good. I think it was like almost twenty five minutes that match. Very good pick. All right. So thank well, thank you. Um, let's go with your number eight. Number eight. I have a match. Uh, very recent match. It was the main event from last year's SummerSlam. It was the fatal four-way between Roman Reigns, Samoa Joe, Braun Strowman, and Brock Lesnar. Now, I, watching this match, I mean, I knew that Brock was the, the universal champ going into it, but it's just like, it's such a cold slap in the face. It's such a reminder of like what a dumb, stupid stranglehold that Brock Lesnar has on that friggin' belt. It was a, he was one year ago. He was a good what four or five months into his reign, and today he's still holding that friggin' belt, you know. Um, but yeah, this match is nice. It starts out red hot. Everyone's going after each other, hitting big moves on each other, and <laughs> it's crazy the way Strowman just manhandles Brock. He puts him through the barricade. He puts him through two tables. Then he throws the third table on top of him. And as I, it's funny because as I was watching this match and I'm watching Braun and um, I'm watching him do what he does to Brock and I'm thinking about where he's gone in the last year and Braun can just he, he can just come out and do some crazy, ridiculous feat of strength every single week. And it's like I like I'll eat it up. And most fans seem to love it. You know, now. I compared this match to another match that I really, really wanted to get into my top 10, but I couldn't. And it was The Rock versus Brock Lesnar, again, from SummerSlam 2002. And the reason I'm comparing these two matches is because what Brock was back in 2002, I feel like Braun was kind of in a similar position last year. And back in 2002, when, when they put Brock over The Rock... It's like they saw what they had in Brock and they were willing to pull the trigger and they did. And they made Brock Lesnar into Brock Lesnar. But now it just seems like, you know, like I said before, I'm, I use the phrase like the, the polished corporate product that we have today. It just seems like they're so gun shy to, to go all in with Braun when I, I think he, he really has what it takes to be one of the top guys. And he really could and should be holding the universal title by this point. Well, that's because Braun is not Vince's golden boy, Roman, who's been crammed down our throats for the last three years. I know for all of you that have been listening every episode, you're probably sick of me saying that, so I'm, I digress, but no, that's a very good comparison. Um, a l little insight, and you were there at the 2002 SummerSlam, so you might remember. Do you remember what happened after the show went off the air? With uh, The Rock? Yes. Yes, I do. Absolutely. But he was he was getting booed pretty badly throughout the entire match. And I haven't um that reminds me too. Back in in 02, like the internet wasn't back then what it is today. We didn't have any social media. We didn't have any of that stuff. So uh, back in like, you know, 2000, 01, 02, like the 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 online dirt sheets were just kind of like starting to gain a lot of steam. And I remember thinking to myself, like, as I was watching the match, like, this has got to be one of the first times where the crowd kind of formed its opinion and decided that, like, the, the crowd decided they were going to say what they were going to say based on dirt sheet reports. 
which basically said, ah, The Rock is going to disappear for a while because he's going to go to Hollywood. And then that was enough to turn that Nassau Coliseum crowd against him one million billion percent. But yeah, I remember that after they went off there. It was, it was fantastic. It was great. See, and I remember hearing there was a few times he was supposed to be at Nassau and then he went off to film, I think it was the Scorpion King back then. Uh, so the fans in Nassau specifically had turned on him. So the, for those of you that don't know, that after WWE went off the air, the Rock got on the microphone and tried to do his finally The Rock has come back to Long Island and the fans were booing him so much that he, I think he tried two or three times and then he finally said the hell with you people, sing along with The Rock is done, slammed the microphone down and walked out. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that WWE doesn't hasn't leaked that video out at some point. Yeah, it was, I mean, he, credit to The Rock, he perfectly played along with uh, with the crowd reactions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, he went in there that night, supposed to be the face, and ended up having to play the heel. Um, hats off to him. Uh, the, the, tr- the truly gifted workers can pull that off. Um, yep. Okay, so we went off on a match that didn't make either one of our lists. They were <laughs> both kind of honorable mentions, although I didn't even consider that in my top 16 to my surprise. So my number eight, and I going to probably get some heat for this people but it was the second intercontinental championship ladder match between Shawn michaels and razor ramon SummerSlam 1995 uh the big issue great match uh for a little history for those of you that weren't watching back then that match was originally supposed to be a straight one-on-one with Shawn michaels and sid and gorilla monsoon came out and said no the fans want to see a ladder match they want to see the rematch with razor i don't know if you remember all of that no, I don't remember that at all. I think that's in that time period you said you weren't watching as much. Yeah. Uh, I believe that, I'm pretty sure that's how it went. I So, I remember Shawn Michaels and Razor had a great match, but at the very end, if I recall, Shawn Michaels was supposed to grab the belt and rip it down, and he couldn't get the damn thing down and fell down, fell off and had to climb back up and do it again. And I remember the super kick off the one ladder to Razor on the other one. I don't rate it as highly as the original one. Um, which is probably why it's lower on my list than some people listening might have expected. But uh, Shawn Michaels always brought it, um, the joke at WrestleMania 10, and I guess you could even say here in some respects that Shawn had a great match with the ladder. Um, I don't know that that's fair to Razor. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was my number eight. I, uh, I I do have this match on my list. It's... Uh, a little bit higher up. I uh, I have a few more things to add, so you know what? I'll hold off for now, and uh, when that match presents itself, I'll, I'll I'll throw a few more thoughts at you on that. Nice. Okay, so I believe next we are at number seven. Number seven. Number seven, I have a match that I haven't watched in in a very long time. I remember this being a good match, and when I watched it again, it it like it blew me away. Uh, at how good it was and how I, I guess I misremembered how good it really was. Um, and number seven is uh, Undertaker versus Edge at Hell in a Cell from SummerSlam 2008. Now, the um, this match just started crazy, crazy brutal. But the thing that really stands out about me, about this, the thing that really stands out to me about this match is that for a good, I don't know, 15 minutes maybe, Edge like completely dominated the Undertaker. 
Like, you never see The Undertaker being manhandled the way he was in this match. You had, like, uh, he hit him with a spear onto the stairs. He hit him with a—he was hitting him with chairs. He jumped off a ladder with it. He, he jumped off the ladder with the chair and, like, drove it into The Undertaker. He, he put The Undertaker through the cage onto the outside. He was hitting him with monitors. It was, it was crazy. I mean, in the last five minutes of the match, um, Edge got everything back in a very, very short period of time. Um, you know, Edge got chokeslammed off the turnbuckle. He went through two tables. And Undertaker hit a, a one-man concerto on Edge, which was awesome. But, um, yeah, this match was crazy, crazy brutal. And um, I completely forgot how good this was. So this wound up number seven on my list. Uh, interesting. Uh, I didn't even consider this one for my list. But, um, I mean, that... That iconic moment after the match where Undertaker choke slams Edge through the ring and then the flame shoot up a few seconds later. I mean, well, great, great moment. In fact, if I if we were doing a top moments, I might have included that one. So, no, nice choice. I like that one. So, my number seven was actually one that you already mentioned was that TLC match with Edge Christian and the Hardys and the Dudleys. Um, you said it better than I ever could, so I'm not going to try to beat what you said. <laughs> Plus, plus, I don't want to put everyone to sleep with, with all my over details that I go through sometimes. I digress. That might be the first match we both have on the list, admittedly. Um, although I think you did mention my last one is also on yours. Is that your number six? Or what is your number six? It is my number six. It's uh, Yeah, number six is the, uh, the ladder match. Um, HBK versus Razor Ramon number two. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I kind of look at this as... Uh, Razor's turn to return the favor from uh, WrestleMania 10. And, it, it, I mean, you hear stories about HBK being able to bump like a madman, and that's that's absolutely the story in this match. Um, I, I, I don't agree, like, with the sentiment that HBK had matched with a ladder, but I, I get it. I, I understand why people would say that. There was one point in this match where, like, I honestly thought, and I think it might have been after he delivered the super kick uh, from the ladder on to Razor, who's also on a ladder, or or maybe it was when he jumped off and tried to grab the belt. I don't know, but he 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 came down onto the mat and he he must have come one inch from like busting his face open on the foot of one of the ladders, like and he would have just like been absolutely decimated. But um, there's two things about this match that stood out for me. Number one, HBK took a bump. In 1995, that like today, you rarely see people taking this bump today. It was Razor Ramon was on the apron and he gave him a suplex from the apron to the outside of the ring. Now, like, it's not like, I feel like it's not really that impressive looking and it's not even that impressive sounding, but like you see it teased all the time, all the time. And it's just one of those spots where I'm watching it and like, it's not going to happen. It never happens. It never happens. But it actually happened here. And of course, it was it was Shawn Michaels again, bumping like an absolute lunatic. Um, and the other thing that stood out to me uh, in line with that is like, if you have any questions about why HBK missed four years due to injury in, you know, starting in 1998, just just watch this match. This is the, this is the style match that he wrestled pretty much any time he had the opportunity to. So to learn that this guy had a back injury and missed uh, four years and lost four years of his career. It's really no big surprise, but um, it was a great match and uh, 
great, certainly a great match for uh, HBK to get his victory back uh, from WrestleMania 10. So that was uh, my number six. Nice, good pick. So my number six is from the 2013 SummerSlam, CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar. Now, I was I actually will admit that last night about 11 o'clock, I had no intention of even including this match and immediately went online, read what the John Report had said about the match and re- started, you know, started giving me some memories of that one. So I went back and watched it and I was like, wow, CM Punk and Brock Lesnar had a great match. And I consider that a big accomplishment, especially for Punk, because in this latest run, I could honestly say that I don't feel like, with the exception of maybe a couple of those triple threats or the fatal four ways, like you mentioned uh, from SummerSlam last year, Brock in a straight one-on-one, I don't feel like has had that memorable match. And it's just because of the way his style is now, where he's just trying to overpower everybody. I made Punk look good in that match. There was a few times where you thought Punk might actually put it off, but he'd like the, the fact that Punk kept getting up i mean he threw him across the ring announcer's table uh there was there was a chair chair involved uh Heyman got involved in the match when it looked like punk was going to have the win it was just such an unbelievable story where you went in thinking that brock's going to probably destroy this guy and they actually had a very good match that went i think it was a good 20 minutes at least um and this is not my last match from this event that i did put on there so a little preview of what's coming in my top five <laughs> yeah th- this this was one of my honorable mentions uh it was uh, ironically enough two brock lesnar matches um his match versus the rock and this one also versus punk uh yeah i agree with you a thousand percent brock lesnar is just the guy who does suplex city now but not in this match not in this match with punk he was reversing stuff in this match like obviously punk is going to be punk and he's going to put on an awesome match you know what he's capable of but, you know, you start to doubt what Brock is capable of with the terrible matches he's been putting in. But there was one spot where, like, he countered a, a go-to-sleep into a Kimura, which was, like, pretty crazy. This guy's enormous, and he's doing stuff like that. Um, and he sold, too, which which I loved, especially early on in the match. Like, Punk was hitting him with some crazy knee shots. Um, and Brock was selling for, for Punk, which I think, um, which I think definitely uh, added to the match. And when he's doing stuff like that, and then he finally does go to the well, and he's hitting F5s, and he's hitting German suplexes, they're just so much more effective when he's, it's, he's, using, those, uh, he's using those power moves to take the match to another level instead of just going like, all right, another suplex, another suplex, another suplex. But um, yeah, and this crowd was, was red hot for a CM Punk win. Yeah, I rem- and uh, the one one of the things I had forgotten that going back to the match, uh, I was shocked was Punk actually had caught him in a triangle choke, which was back then, with the exception of the Hell's Gate, which is really kind of a modified triangle choke. Uh, but to see the way Punk was doing that, it's kind of ironic now that all these years later now, Punk went into the MMA world and Brock is the one still wrestling. And we kind of did, you know, they kind of switched places. Um Although now it looks like Brock will be getting back in the cage if he could pass all the USADA tests that he's taking. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, I was th- uh, 
I was there live, and we covered that in one in uh, UFC episode last month. But uh, th- being there in person for that whole that whole pull apart with him and Cormier after the the main event was was incredible. All right, so we've gotten through our number six to ten. Uh, let's see what got to the top of the mountain. What's our top five? All right, number five, I have um, a match that's always talked about, a match that I remember, but admittedly a match that I haven't watched in years, uh, and certainly it holds up. It's Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect from 1991 for the Intercontinental title. The first thing that stands out about me for this match is that both guys are wearing their classic outfits. That is the go-to. If I'm going to picture Bret Hart, I picture him wearing the pink tank top with the black tights. And if I'm picturing Mr. Perfect, I'm picturing him wearing the teal singlet with the black in the back. So that definitely gets extra points from me. Uh, And maybe you could help me out with this here. Because I, I was watching in 1991... And I remember watching this pay-per-view at my friend's house. Um, now, we have Mr. Perfect. And I, 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 for some reason, I'm just blanking out when it comes to this. Mr. Per- basically, if you know, if professional wrestling will have the equivalent of like a five-tool player, it's going to be a guy like Kurt Hennig. You know, he could cut a promo. He could wrestle any kind of match with anybody. Why on earth was Coach with Mr. Perfect? What purpose did this guy serve? So... Bobby Heenan was Perfect's manager, and he had gone full-time to the broadcast booth, so the coach had come in to be Bobby's replacement. The coach didn't have a long run. I think the only other people he managed, I believe, I think was the Beverly Brothers, but that was about it. He wasn't there for very long, and I think it was more of a case of Bobby stepping away to go full-time with the microphone broadcasting as the excellent broadcast journalist that he was. Yeah. Um... Bobby, one of the greats. I really, I really wish his his take on, uh, miss his take on things. That was what I recall about the coach. I I don't recall the coach even being there for any longer than a few months. So probably just a stopgap. Yeah, I, I didn't think so either. But I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's not like Mister Perfect needed any help in the promo department, and the, the guy never even spoke. He literally just sat there and blew into his whistle. I don't know. It, just, it was just very strange, especially looking back on it. Um, but yeah, the match itself, I mean, what 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 are you going to expect from guys like Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect? The whole match was filled with uh, moves, just very smooth transitions, some awesome reversals. And the the uh, the other thing, the other real takeaway for this match is that, um, you know, Bret Hart was just entering the world of singles wrestling. And this match basically said, OK, He's in the world of singles wrestling now. This guy is a. This guy will be an absolute superstar. And um, the coolest part of this match, in my opinion, was um, the finish, where Brett transitioned from a laying from laying down on his back, wrapping up Mr. Perfect's legs, and standing up and putting him into a sharpshooter to win the Intercontinental Title. It was. It was such a cool looking spot and i loved it especially when i was a kid um i I assume you've read brett's autobiography oh yes i have (laughs) guy's definitely full of himself yeah (laughs) um i I read it years ago but one of the stories i do remember is where i think he was just laying in bed trying to come up with um a good ending for this match and he woke up his wife 
and said, oh, come on, come lay down on the floor with me for a second. And he tried to, he wrapped up her legs in his legs and figured out how to get into the sharpshooter from a laying down position. So that's just kind of a cool story that goes along with this match. So that's what I got at number five, Mr. Perfect versus Bret Hart from SummerSlam 91. Nice. Um, that yeah, that one did make my list, and obviously I haven't said it yet, so um, coming soon. But definitely agree with that choice. Uh, definitely a top five match. Um, so my number five uh, was actually also f- from the 2013 SummerSlam. Uh, that was the WWE title match between Daniel Bryan and John Cena. Um, that was this is one of the ones I went back and watched. Uh, Triple H was the special guest referee because God forbid uh, anybody in the McMahon Helmsley family doesn't put themselves front and center, even when they're not wrestling. Uh, but uh, and as Conrad Thompson would say, uh, pedigree and no, and nobody kicks out. Um, there's something along those lines. Anyway. And for those of you that saw that match, you know why I'm saying that. But the I felt like that ma- this match uh, was a double coming out party in a respect. Uh, for Daniel Bryan, this was really, in my opinion, even though he had already been World Heavyweight Champion, this was his true coming out to, as a bona fide main eventer. Um, and he proved he could hang with John Cena, even though he did give him a little bit of a shiner. But even in Cena's case, this is where I felt like the John Cena thugonomics style uh his five moves of doom uh that everyone joked about that that's all he knew how to do this match proved that he can wrestle um and i always felt that with cena as much as he got i got sick and tired of him uh, not as much as roman reigns but pretty close to it cena's character i felt didn't fit the type necessarily or necessitated being that consummate all-around wrestler um and this match proved he could um Daniel Bryan kicked out of the attitude adjustment in that in this match, and I, at least for me, I recall the finish with the, with the beat with the knee plus or the flying knee, whatever they wanted to call it. But I remember watching that match, and when he hit that and he got the pin, I was like, "Huh, where did that come from?" I don't remember. I think he un- that was the first time I recall him using that that finisher. Great all-around match. Proved Cena is definitely a wrestler and silenced some of his critics and proved that Daniel Bryan is a main event player and not a B-plus superstar as Stephanie and Triple H would try to have you believe months later. Yeah, and I'll give you my thoughts on this match now because, ironically enough, this is my number four pick. So I will go right into my reaction to your comments and add my own. Yeah, it's... I'm so glad you said that. I had the exact same feeling about Daniel Bryan going into this match. Um, I remember the only time I could remember having that same feeling about a, a certain wrestler was for Steve Austin at WrestleMania 14. It was so clear that the entire crowd was behind this guy. And it was so clear that the guy could work. It's you had that feeling of if they don't give this guy the ball to run with right now, they, they don't see that they have a sure thing right in the palm of their hands right now. Uh, obviously, like you said, Brian put on an awesome match with Cena. The crowd was crazy. The crowd was white hot for, for a Daniel Bryan win over Cena. Uh, the crowd really, I think the crowd really did add a lot to the match. Um, and like you said, give Cena credit too. The, the match got off to a fast start. Uh, the, the pace never let up. And uh, Cena, I, I thought Cena kept up with Daniel Bryan every step of the way. 
Um, it, it was an awesome match. And yeah, like you said, even though uh, Brian had won a title in the past, you felt like this was really the match where he proved himself. This is where he told the world, hey, look, if you don't think I'm a main eventer, then that's your problem. Um, and of course, as soon as the match was over, I made sure I turned it off because I did not want to see what happened afterward. <laughs> I did keep it on when I was watching it last night. Um, and it was actually sad. I tried to get through this match three times and I kept putting it on right when I was falling asleep, uh, like at midnight or one in the morning. So that was kind of stupid because it was really a great <laughs> match. The other thing, and you kind of touched on this, um, Daniel Bryan's style, the guy just keeps moving and moving and moving. It wasn't one of these matches where we had these long rest holds. The guys just kept going, and you didn't know that Cena can do that. Um, so I was not glad to hear you you had that one in your top five as well. All right, so my number four um, is actually another specialty match, and we're going to find that there's a theme here when it comes to SummerSlam, at least on my end. This I, My number four is from the 1994 SummerSlam, and this is the WWF title steel cage match between Brett and Owen. Uh, they went in there for over a half hour. They had the family at ringside. Um, we had Davey Boy Smith making his return. Jim DeAnvil was in the crowd, which I thought was kind of odd because he had been in Owen's corner uh, throughout. Um, there was the spots where they both got each other and the sharpshooters in the cage. But I remember them like it was like a bunch of flying monkeys all over that cage, the two of them. There were so many times you thought Owen or Brett was getting out of the cage and the other would make that miraculous save. And that finish saved face for Owen the way his foot got caught in the cage and he kind of was hanging there upside down as Brett won. Um, I was remember being very angry because I was a big Owen fan and I was hoping he'd get the belt that night. But it was an unbelievable match, probably the best steel cage match, at least in SummerSlam history, if not all time. Yeah, I uh, agree with everything you said. This match does show up on my list a little later on. So uh, again, I'll save some uh, some some more of my comments for uh, for when we do see it on my list. Okay, so that brings us to number three. All right, so that's a nice little transition. We have heart family drama. I'll stick with that theme. And number three on my list is uh, Bret Hart versus Davy Boy Smith for the Intercontinental Title in the main event of SummerSlam 1992 in front of Davy Boy's home crowd at Wembley Stadium. Um, you, you had Diana, who was in the middle. It was a nice little thing to throw into the story, um, but I don't know. Do you remember, like, she had that, what turned out to be a, a pretty long interview before the match. I mean, I, I thought it would be okay to kind of take someone, stick a microphone into, you know, stick a microphone in her face and let her look worried and spit out something about how she's worried with both guys. But they went back and forth a few times. I mean, she looked pretty uncomfortable there for a few minutes. So I thought that was pretty odd that <laughs> they just kind of like let her like drift in the wind there, you know. Um, and I did like that we saw from Brett uh, a lot of heel swagger. Like we said before, you know, the best can um, take their hints from the crowd and adjust their performance accordingly. And we got that from Brett here. He started to show some of those heel mannerisms that we would see a lot more of in uh, in 1997. And, uh, you know, again, going back to Brett's autobiography, um, I, I don't know if Brett is uh, exaggerating a little bit when he tells this story, but he, he tells the story. Obviously, Vince McMahon put a lot of faith in both Brett and especially Bulldog. 
because obviously Brett was much more proven at this point than, than Davy Boy was for a main event spot. And, you know, Brett knew what was on the line. Brett thought that the Bulldog knew what was on the line. But the way Brett tells the story is that Bulldog showed up completely hammered before they had to go on. And the way Brett tells the story is that he totally walked Davy Boy through this entire match. And I had that in mind while I was watching this match again a few days ago. And you can see there are some points where, like, Brett kind of, like, puts his whole face behind Davy Boy's head and he's whispering some spots to him. You can see it maybe two or three times. So um, yeah, maybe Brett really wasn't exaggerating when he told that story. Um, and uh, something else that was great from this match is that you saw the uh, the callback to the, uh, to the sharpshooter laying down spot where Brett tried to... Uh, Brett tried to get Davy Boy in a sharpshooter from a laying down position again, just like he did with uh, Mr. Perfect in the year before. Um, another thing I noticed about this match, uh, on, I watched this match, and right before this match, I also watched another match from SummerSlam 92 that's that's gets very high praise, and that was uh, Warrior Savage in their rematch from WrestleMania 7. Um, and listen, I, I love the Ultimate Warrior. I love Randy Savage. They're two of my favorites. Uh, and, and their match at SummerSlam 92 was another very good match. But watching that match back-to-back -back with Brett and Davy Boy, they're just, you could tell, they're just two matches from, from two completely different eras, you know? Um, I, I think Brett versus Davy Boy aged much better than Warrior Savage did. Uh, you could tell Warrior Savage is just like, you know... Uh, um, some of the last remnants of those, you know, 80s matches with two big, slow-moving guys with, you know, a big move and then a rest, then another big move, then another rest. And they let they really let the drama build. But uh, Brett and Davy Boy, they put on a match I feel that would be right at home in a 2018 ring. Uh, it definitely still holds up to this day. Davy Boy got the huge win as I said before, in front of his home crowd at Wembley Stadium. Uh, great match that uh, I think stands the test of time. Number three on my list, Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog from 92. Nice. Um, yeah, a little spoiler alert that I haven't mentioned that match, but that is on my list. Um, so, as I mentioned uh, earlier, Bret Hart being the consummate SummerSlam guy, uh, so to speak. When I think SummerSlam, I think Brett, um, just like Mr. WrestleMania with Shawn Michaels, even though Shawn Michaels had a losing record there. So my number three was actually from that SummerSlam we both found out earlier tonight that we were both at. Uh, my number three is the unsanctioned street fight between Triple H versus Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels' big return after a four-year absence. Um, they were destroying the hell out of each other in this match um michaels because it was an unsanctioned street fight really sold it by coming out in street clothes um and this is one of the things one of the things i like about matches uh certain matches that rate highly with me is when this finish is unexpected out of nowhere so that match specifically, I remember Triple H going for the pedigree, and Michaels did a double leg sweep and kind of rolled through with it, hooking both legs and got the quick three count. I love matches where the finish is out of the blue and unexpected because I feel like in a real competition, in a real wrestling match, if it's, this was real, yes, folks, we know this is fake. Um, I'm not that big a mark. Um, but I feel like in a real environment, that's what would really happen. These, The actual finisher thing, you know, if you were really wrestling... 
legitimately you're gonna know to stay the hell away from you're getting hit with your opponent's finisher so um and then that touch afterwards where because they weren't sure if michaels would ever get back in the ring again they had the sledgehammer shot from triple h to end it all so they they managed to complete the story in a way that you weren't gonna expect hbk to come back but what a comeback for Shawn michaels after a four-year absence uh the whole storyline the whole build-up it all made sense and uh hats off to hbk uh mr wrestlemania had his big SummerSlam moment uh biggest of all time i know i did mention his ladder match but i feel like this was his greatest SummerSlam match uh and same with triple h i don't have triple h ranked in in here um but uh triple h doesn't always get the credit he should and this is one this is one match that definitely shows he could go yeah definitely and moving into my number two pick this is in my number two spot Shawn michaels versus triple h in their uh, unsanctioned match from o2 i mean you, you hit everything really that can be said about this match uh this was the start of hbk's second run and i feel like you probably dedicate an entire show to discussing which run was better hbk's first run or his second run because you know, while we while we remember the heartbreak kid uh, of the early to mid '90s and all the great matches that he had with guys like Razor Ramon, uh, guys like Brett, guys like Vader, um, he he was just as great in his second run. And it started off with this match that was um, really blew the roof off of um, the Nassau Coliseum. One of the things I felt like. Um, that's kind of lost in uh, translation in watching the match now, 16 years later, I guess it is. Um, I remember being there at Nassau and watching Sean take all those bumps. Like, I feel like everyone watching that match was like legit worried that Sean was just gonna like kill himself, you know? I mean, he was he was doing all the spots that he always did. The, uh, you know, the spot where the, it's an Irish whip into the turnbuckles. He did the flip where his lower back just slams against the turnbuckle. He was putting himself through tables. I, uh, Triple H was giving him backbreakers and just stretching him out over his knee. He did not take it easy on himself at all. And I feel like th that tension and, and the crowd knowing um, how horribly HBK had screwed up his back for the last few years... Um, that, that tension was definitely there in the crowd. Uh, and I feel like if you just kind of, if you don't have that knowledge and if you just kind of pick up the match today and watch it without knowing the kind of shape that Shawn Michaels had been in, uh, it's kind of lost. Uh, and it definitely added some awesome drama to the match, uh, that definitely put it on another level. So, uh, that's what I have for number two, HBK versus Triple H in the unsanctioned match from SummerSlam 2002, the greatest SummerSlam there ever was. Absolutely agree there. Yeah, I re that's a good point. I remember I felt the same way you did during that match. Uh, every back bump, you just were freaking out, thinking, "Oh my God, is this going to be it?" But that's typical HBK. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna be the showstopper, the main event, the icon, or he's not gonna he's just not gonna get in there. Um, on the same note, nowadays, and not so much now because. We know he's okay, but when Daniel Bryan came back at WrestleMania 31 in a ladder match for the Intercontinental title, 
and the bumps he was taking and I remember him doing the flying goat through the ropes and, and I was sitting there thinking what the hell are you doing dude this is all the stuff that got you might have contributed to your injury to begin with change your style the fans are behind you just this, and coincidentally who trained Daniel Bryan right yep and uh, uh, just to go off on a tangent for a bit I did watch two Chris Benoit matches and just watching that guy land on his head and land on his neck and land on his head and land on his neck. It's just like, it, it's almost creepy to watch today knowing what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, 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 I, I've never believed the roid rage as the reason. Um, I really think it was the dementia theory. I really thought that made more sense, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get too controversial here. So, <laughs> All right, so uh, my number two was one of the ones you mentioned earlier. Um, this 1991 SummerSlam match with Mr. Perfect defending the Intercontinental title against Bret the Hitman Hart. So, uh, especially for Bret, uh, first, uh, with Mr. Perfect, let me go there first. Mr. Perfect had already been established as a upper mid-card singles guy. Um, he had his moment with Hogan in the main event scene. Um, there was, I don't know if you ever heard this, um, I read somewhere that at one point... Mr. Perfect was penciled in to be the guy to upset Hulk Hogan for the title in, I think it was early 1990 or late 89, and that it would have been Perfect and Warrior at WrestleMania 6. Um, so Perfect, I, I don't know how true that is, but if it was, uh, that's how highly Mr. Perfect was sought at. I think he's one of those guys that should have been world champion and never never got that opportunity. Um, all that being said, um, especially now knowing the that his back was basically shot to shit going in there and still had that great match with Brett. It wasn't like Brett had to carry him through the match. It was just very back and forth. And for Brett, a big moment. Um, he had tried to get that singles run. They had tried to put him as a single star earlier, and instead they just reunited him with the anvil, it seemed, uh, all the time. So the fact that he finally got to get that true singles moment, and this was really... This was really his uh, his unveiling party, so to speak, as a single superstar, in my opinion. Um, unbelievable match. Uh, can't can't disagree with anything you said earlier. I think you said it way better than I did. Uh, thank God I had you as the guest on the show this week. <laughs> but yeah, and then the with Brett having his family there too, and you could see Helen like freaking out like she always did, and Stoon was always the uh, you know the. The, the serious bear sitting there, uh, Brett, Brett will do it. Then. <laughs> oh, God, Brett. I'm going to get an angry tweet from Brett now. Four out of ten in this podcast. Four out of ten. <laughs> Thank you. You beat me to it. <laughs> nice. Okay, so uh, we've, we've gone through nine of our top ten, and now it's time for number one, numero uno. And I'm really intrigued because I have no idea what you could be picking here. Yeah, I guess we're just left with, with our number one picks. And for me, after going through all these matches, after watching um, as many of these top matches that I could, this for me, this was number one with a bullet. Um, I can't remember the last time I had watched this match before I watched it. I think it was either yesterday or the day before. Uh, but for me, uh, number one, the best SummerSlam match of all time is Brett versus Owen from SummerSlam 94 in the Steel Cage. Um, it's strange. This match is a very, very different cage match. Most of the time, 
especially like in the in, this was I guess 94 you could say it's I it's a weird place it was in that transitional phase I feel like between like the old school Hogan type matches and you know the, the type of matches that we're used to seeing today um Brett and Owen definitely helped make that transition but traditionally when you have a cage match it's because um, you want to contain the two guys and just let them beat the hell out of each other to the point where the feud is finally over. Um, cage matches obviously are known for being particularly brutal and bloody, but that really wasn't the story of this match. Um, there, there wasn't any blood. Um, you know, they weren't really, um, no, no foreign objects, nothing like that. You feel like the brutality in this match was just kind of baked into the, the emotion and the drama that Owen and Brett uh, brought out from each other. And the real story of this match from the very beginning to the very end uh, was the drama of escaping the cage. And... In watching this match, I feel like there there never was before and or even since a match that built the drama of the escape so well. I mean, it started out where they were fighting, almost like kids fighting with each other on the carpet um, to get to the door and to get out of the door. And you had Owen scrambling and basically just still in the cage by his feet and Brett pulling him back in. And Brett scrambling for the cage. There was even a spot where Brett pulled Owen back into the cage through the door and just unloaded on him with fists and then jumped over him, tried to get out of the cage, and then Owen pulled him back in. Then you had the, not not um, aside from the door, you also had the climb escapes where at least once a piece you had Owen and Brett, you know, on separate times. You had Owen climbing over the cage and climbing down and Brett climbing the cage, pulling him back up and pulling him back in. Then you had Brett doing the same thing. And, uh, you know, in addition to like all the, like I said before, all the emotion and all the drama that these two brothers going at each other with and the whole, um, you know, the family drama as well, uh, they really very, very skillfully, I feel, uh, worked the, the drama of the es escape into this match. And it's, it's kind of surprising that they were, in my opinion, at least the first ones to take it to that degree, because, you know, um, I, I believe it was WWE and Vince who kind of invented this whole concept of escaping the cage to win the match. Um, because like I said before, you know, you want to just beat the hell out of each other. The, the point of a cage match wasn't really to get out of there. It was to stay in there with the guy and just beat him until he couldn't get up again. Um, so that kind of puts this match on another level for me. There was just so much drama going into the match, uh, stemming from WrestleMania 10. And, um, you know, I always identified with, with Owen because, you know, I am, I am a younger brother myself. And, you know, when I went back and watched WrestleMania 10, um, I remember seeing Brett uh, after he won the title and after everyone lifted him up, I remember thinking to myself, like, how does Owen feel about this? Like he beat him earlier in the night. And then that's when he came out into the entranceway 
and he made it clear that he has a problem with Brett. And, um, you know, this was kind of the, uh, the, the climax of that. Uh, and, and I, I loved it. I loved every single, this was the longest match on my list. It came in at over half an hour, almost 33 minutes. And I loved every single minute of it. Um, and on top of that, Vince really just loves putting the Hart family on TV, huh? Yeah. Like all of them were there for this one. Like I said, it was like Davy boy was there. Um, Jim Neidhart was there. I think, uh, Bruce was there. Um, yeah, I, this, like I said before, number one with a bullet, absolutely, uh, Brett versus Owen from 1994. I actually wonder now if we should go back and see if Natty was sitting ringside in the, with the family, too, for all we know. I, I was looking for her, and my wife pointed out a little a little kid who was sitting there. I said, a little blonde kid. I said, I don't know, maybe, it could be. I guess she would be around, like, 10 years old at the time, is that right? Uh, maybe. Uh, well, that that's what... The encyclopedia will now go to Wikipedia, and let's see if we can <laughs> narrow this down. Yeah, so that would have been 94. Okay, let's see. So Natalia is 36 years old right now, so she would be about 12 when that yeah. match took place. May 27th, 1982. So, okay. So that was August 94. Yeah, about 12 years old. So it might have been. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, um... You definitely hit it home there. I totally agree with everything you said. Um, so my number one, uh, we're going to keep it in the family um, and really keep it in the family. Although by marriage, in this case, I believe it was your number three, maybe. Yeah, number three. OK, so that was my number one, the 1992 SummerSlam Intercontinental Championship match. Uh, if, there were, if wrestling was real, you wouldn't necessarily win with a finisher left and right. So that was one of the reasons why I ranked this one highly. But it was a back and forth. Uh, now we know that Brett probably carried Davey through this match, um, which made it even better. But like, like there was the one spot where Brett kind of slingshot over the top rope and kind of grabbed Davey by the neck and kind of dragged him down at one point because uh, Davey was so probably high or drunk or off his ass, whatever it was. Um, <laughs> the spot where Davey, um, out of the blue, which you would not expect from him, and kind of showed that he could do be a scientific wrestler as well. He went for the crucifix, and then Bret Hart did that Samoan drop that just looked so painful. Uh, who knows? It could have been Davey's hangover, but... Um, and then Diana, uh, Diana Smith ringside her, uh, showing her reaction throughout, uh, looking like she wore something from the Calgary stampede, uh, in England of all places. But, uh, <laughs> um, the, yeah, uh, now, and you, you hit home on the rest of why this, that match was so great. Now, um, let me, let me get your, let me get your take on something after that match. Uh, you know, Brett hints that he's going to leave fans boo he comes back he hugs them then he's hugging diana and it seemed like it almost seemed like diana was hugging him more than her own husband and i remember thinking to myself god who is she really dating here what the hell uh <laughs> it was odd if i remember correctly i'll have to go back and take a look again but i think like the way it appeared on the screen from left to right was diana brett davy so i think I did kind of notice that, and it was a little strange. Um, I don't know. Maybe she was just trying to comfort her brother in the loss. Yeah, and I get, and that's why I didn't read too much into it. But uh, she was in the middle at one point. She raised both her arms, but Davy was so busy taking in the adulation that she ended up 
I don't remember if Brett kind of pulled her in or she pulled him in, but was hugging him. Uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe Brett was whispering in her ear and be like, "These these people talk funny. Uh, can, maybe we need to get we got to get out of this country." I I don't know what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, wow. So uh, great great top ten lists. Uh, I we we were similar on a lot of the top fives. It seems like six to ten was where we really differed on a lot of it. There were some, just to throw out some matches I did I thought about considering, and I just couldn't do them. Um, the Rock versus Triple H, the Intercontinental Championship ladder match from the 1998 SummerSlam. Um, I, I wanted to include that one, but it felt like it had been done before. And um, as much as I respect The Rock and what he's accomplished, it just felt, I never really felt like he was someone that I was watching to have the match of the night. Um, and this was just one of those cases. Um, I know a lot of people had a lot of love for the Rock Triple H Kurt Angle match at SummerSlam 2000, but I think part of the mystique with that one is the fact that Angle had gotten knocked the fuck out uh, in that opening sequence. Um, I consider the latter match for the hardcore title at 2001 SummerSlam between Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam. A lot of people gave that love, and I, wa- I did go back and watch that one, and it seemed like to me just a spot monkey fest which drives me nuts um and then the very end of the match jeff is hanging above the the ring holding on to the ring for dear life and rob goes uh, springs up to the top and goes for the spinning sidekick which comes nowhere close to hitting him because jeff is completely (laughs) and i remember and as i'm watching i'm like yep that's why i couldn't rank this one anywhere in the top 10 because that finish just drove me absolutely bonkers um oh man yeah so, uh, I left out the Angle Lesnar 2003 match. I had considered that, but mm-hmm. I d- when I watched it, I actually turned it off like te- ten minutes in because I was like, "Yeah, this is just not the style of match I like." And then one that gets a lot of love that I noticed you didn't include either, and I, I, I didn't even go back and watch it. Um, was the 2001 SummerSlam WWE Championship match or WWF Championship match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kurt Angle? And it was more the fact that that match ended in a disqualification. And when we get a sh- and when we get a schmazz ending like that, I just don't I don't have the same love for those matches. Um, another example: this wasn't SummerSlam, but there's that in your house mind games main event between Shawn Michaels and Mankind that Mankind said was his greatest match ever. And I go back and watch it, and I'm like, yeah, it was a very good match, but. The thing didn't end, and there wasn't a clean finish to that one, as I recall. I I agree though, like especially with the with the Angle versus Austin match in two thousand one. For yeah, I mean it was just so silly. I mean having um Nick Patrick come down and start to count to three, and then he disqualified. Whatever it, it was, it was um really took away from what what turned out to be a brutal match. Um, and Angle got busted open big time in that match. Um, and also, it's just that that match just encapsulates the whole ridiculousness of the invasion storyline. Because the main event of the night, you have Booker T defending the WCW title against The Rock, which is fine. Look, like, look, when you're at the time when you're fantasy booking WCW versus WWF, that's a match that always came up. And good on WWF for putting that match uh, on at SummerSlam. But now for the WWF title, for a WCW Invasion storyline, it's Steve Austin versus Kurt Angle. It's two WWF guys. I mean, uh, you know, looking back, um, you really wish they would have um, put the money 
into the big names coming over from WCW or could have, should have come over from WCW. And I really wish that this match could have been Austin versus Goldberg or Austin versus Sting. It's just, it's just silly that we saw Austin versus Angle as awesome as the both of them were. Yeah, I and I can't blame the guys from WCW with their contracts. I mean, they were getting paid out to basically sit on their asses at home and do absolutely nothing, which God knows, I mean, I love Kevin Nash, I will admit that. I was a huge diesel mark, but uh, that guy will take all the money and run with it any chance he could get to do absolutely nothing. Um, and anyone that faults any of those guys for doing that, is crazy. Um, I don't think that I don't think even if WWE said, okay, take your buyout from WCW and we'll pay you that same amount on top of it. I still don't, I still don't see anyone having agreed to that. Um, I, I agree that invasion storyline was, it could have been built absolutely over time. And just from the beginning, WCW just looked weak and that card was a prime example of it. Um, so, with that being said, um, I want to thank you, Dan, for joining us and giving you top ten. Uh, ho- hopefully, we could do this more frequently. Maybe specialized topics like greatest managers of the '80s, or you know, we, we could really have do stuff like this more often if you're definitely interested. And if you, our listeners, are also if you also enjoy this, uh, let us know, and we'll try to do more of these. Um, I know at the very minimum, you and I could talk NXT. Uh, Dan, thank you for coming. Thanks very much. This was really a lot of fun. I'm glad that we have uh, such similar taste in our SummerSlam matches. Absolutely. It's, it's nice to have a, a fellow wrestling fan that sees the same way I do. All right. So thank you all for listening. And uh, Stevie G, Freddie, also and I will be back next week, hopefully, to do our recap of SummerSlam and see who got their picks right and if Steven retained his world championship and see if I retain my pay-per-view championship. Thank you all for coming and have a great evening. Enjoy SummerSlam.